0: And welcome to Ipsa a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian O'Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Daphne Keller, Director of Intermediary Liability at the Stanford Center for Internet and Society and former Associate General Counsel at Google. We will discuss her essay, Who Do You Sue? State and Platform Hybrid Power Over Online Speech, which is published by the Hoover Institution, as well as her work on the regulation of internet platforms more generally. So welcome to the show, Daphne.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have you on. This is a super, super timely topic, and I'm really interested. I'm really looking forward to sharing your your insights on the subject with with listeners. Um, But before we kind of delve into the sort of more nitty-gritty specific questions, I wonder if you could talk more generally about how the First Amendment affects the ability of internet platforms to regulate the speech of their users, if
1: at all. Well, the answer is counterintuitive to a lot of people, because people think that there should be a First Amendment right that affects um, their ability to speak and share lawful but controversial ideas on platforms. Um, But the First Amendment is a right against the government. It says Congress and government actors can't silence you in in most situations. It's not a right against private companies. And remarkably to to many people, the First Amendment actually serves as a right for the platforms to take down users' speech. So there have been several dozen cases in the U.S. where people tried suing platforms for taking down their speech, and people said, hey, Google or AOL or Twitter, you need to reinstate uh, my content. And the platforms have won all of those cases. And in some cases, they win because of their own First Amendment rights. The courts say, you, platform, are functioning as an editor. You have a First Amendment right to take down content that violates your policies, and that is a reason why nobody gets to sue you to get their speech reinstated.
0: So would it be fair to like think of an internet platform as, from a First Amendment perspective, being kind of analogous to a newspaper or something? Like, the newspaper's speech is protected, but my ability to get my own speech into the newspaper isn't?
1: Sort of. I mean, it is analogous to a newspaper in its rights to exclude things, but it's very different from a newspaper in that its starting position for most platforms is anyone can come along and say anything, um, and then maybe if it violates the rules, the platforms will take it down. And and that function makes it very different from newspapers. Newspapers have lawyers who vet every article that runs and sometimes um, decide that things shouldn't run because they're too risky. They might be defamatory or they might be copyright infringing, for example. If that were the rule for platforms, we would not have the Internet as we know it today uh, because you wouldn't be able to post something on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or or Medium or wherever um, without waiting for their lawyers to approve it. So the, the rules are... Very different between newspapers and platforms with respect to the question, when do they get in trouble because of something illegal that someone posted? But they are similar with respect to the question, can can they define an editorial policy and exclude some things?
0: So it's a little bit of a digression from, from your paper, but I was wondering if you could help listeners understand why it is that internet platforms aren't directly responsible for the speech that their users make, even though newspapers, for example, would be directly responsible for everything that they print.
1: Yeah, so this is the area of law I study. It's called intermediary liability. It's a terrible name, but it basically means the the set of rules that tell platforms what legal responsibility they have for users' speech. And it's different in different countries, but pretty much every country has some variant on the idea that platforms are not responsible for what their users post. They might have responsibilities in some legal systems later to take things down if they find out that they're illegal. Um, but this starting point of letting platforms be a place you can automatically put up your speech without waiting for a lawyer to vet it is foundational to the internet as we know it today. We would not have companies um either you know big famous companies like like YouTube or Twitter or little things like your kid's school having a parent comment section on, on their website, none of those things would be possible um, if there were not immunity for platforms when when users put up their speech. And as I said, sometimes platforms do have to take things down once they find out that they're illegal. But this serves both a innovation goal of letting all those entities exist, and also a free expression goal, um, making it so that platforms aren't so risk-averse that they're incentivized to go down and shut down open forums or take down a broad swath of speech just in case it might be illegal.
0: Well, I mean, it seems like that that immunity from liability is really, in a sense, what enables internet platforms to sort of fully utilize and mobilize the new technology and the possibilities that come along with it um, and, like, enables them to kind of do the things that you can do on the internet that you couldn't do, for example, in a newspaper.
1: Absolutely. W- without some form of immunity, there wouldn't be such a thing as a place where you or I could go online and you know just share a podcast that we recorded um, or post a blog post that we just composed. That, that is the predicate of all of our ability to, to share content using these third-party platforms on the internet.
0: Mm. And when, so one thing I thought was really interesting uh about the kind of framework you present in in your essay is that you know and you mentioned it just a moment ago that there are these kinds of free expression goals associated with the way we think about the nature of intermediary liability. In other words, the fact that the platforms are immune means that they can serve the the free expression goals of the platform, but also the free expression goals of their users to use the platform and engage in free expression on their own behalf. But you point to some sort of oblique ways in which government regulation can still end up um, you know imposing certain kind of limitations on speech and in particular I, I kind of well maybe it's because it's my it's my area of study but but I noticed the way that you talked about how you know the scope of copyright protection can actually expand beyond the bounds of what kind of copyright actually prohibits to sort of create incentives for platforms to limit certain kinds of speech. And I wonder if you could talk about how that works and the extent to which you think it has free expression implications.
1: Sure. Uh, and, And to be clear, you know, I do think, just going to the start of your question, that the First Amendment interest or the speech interest of Internet users and are sometimes in tension with those of platforms. Sometimes the user wants one outcome and the platform wants the other. And other times they're very much aligned. Other times the speaker wants to speak and the platform wants to speak and/or wants to uh, you know, have a business that allows the user to speak. Um, and you know, and, and so they're aligned in that way. Um, copyright is important for a number of reasons. First, because of sort of commercial piracy. Um, It is the source of a lot of the content takedown that platforms carry out. Um, Second, under U.S. law, we have a fairly elaborate notice and takedown system for copyright, and we don't have a system like that for for most other kinds of content. And then third, because of those first two things, there are are remarkable troves of data and raw information available about what platforms are taking down. Uh, A number of platforms contribute information to a database hosted through the Berkman Center at Harvard Law School called the Lumen database. And the Lumen database has copies of removal requests that people have sent to a number of platforms, including Google and Twitter, and researchers are able to go and look at them and see what the request says and see in Google's case, what URL, what web address uh, was taken down and compare the two and see if this seems like the accusation of copyright infringement was legitimate or mistaken or malicious as sometimes is, um, and whether the platforms made the right choice in taking things down. and Unfortunately, what that research shows pretty consistently is that there are a lot of erroneous accusations. There are a lot of notices coming into platforms saying, hey, you have to take this down because it's copyright infringing. But actually, um, it's pointing to something completely unrelated to the author's work um, or it is pointing to something um that is fair use, that is a, a parody or a satire or news reporting. Um Google used to get lots of takedown requests for IMDB pages and Wikipedia pages. Um, and that's both, you know, a, a problem because of the the speech consequences, the over removal. It's also a problem because it can really be abused and weaponized by bad actors. You know, there are examples like the government of Ecuador, using copyright takedown notices to get platforms to remove critical journalism and evidence of police brutality. There are examples of scientists using fraudulent DMCA notice to take down reports that are critical of their work and and show that their research was flawed. There are sort of endless anecdotal examples of, of ways that these systems can be abused. So so Daphne, I mean, recently there have been a lot of
0: arguments floated from a lot of different political perspectives that the government ought to be regulating speech on internet platforms in ways that it historically hasn't, right? Both to like – Prevent certain kinds of speech in some cases, or require platforms to carry certain kinds of speech in other cases. I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those arguments and sort of what's motivating them.
1: Yeah. So the the conversation about platforms and speech is a little incoherent for the reason you identify. There are people saying platforms absolutely should take down more content and people saying they absolutely should take down less. And it seems hard to, you know, those, those people don't necessarily agree about which content it is that should be taken down. So it, it's hard to see a sort of policy future that serves both of those goals at once unless we can all agree on exactly what speech should be prohibited and then, you know, we just mandate that. But we're not going to achieve that. We've never agreed um, as a society in the u s on on that kind of thing and, and I doubt we're going to, and we certainly don't have global agreement uh, but i'm pretty sympathat- sympathetic um, actually to to both of those goals you know and and I think that while they get described often as a more left goal and a more right goal politically, that actually there are concerns all across the political spectrum that that back up both of those things. Um, So, for example, on on the claim that platforms should take down less speech, that they should be compelled to tolerate more speech as long as it's legal and First Amendment protected, that gets framed in the media as a conservative position. But um, internationally, it's been raised, for example, as an indigenous rights argument in Brazil. And here in the U.S. a couple of years ago, we had a letter from 70 civil rights organizations saying, hey, we think Facebook is disproportionately silencing people from marginalized groups. So the concern that some people aren't being allowed to speak as much as others, um, it it goes across the political spectrum. It's not just a a right wing issue. Um, At the same time, the, the concern that there's content online that is dangerous or harmful or offensive and people want taken down, that's not just a left or a right-wing concern either. I mean, I think for for better or for worse, the First Amendment protects a lot of content that many, many people find morally abhorrent, um, such as the Christchurch shooters video. Uh, which is probably legal in many of the cases where it was shared, but you saw calls across the political spectrum for for platforms to get it down as quickly as possible. And so as, as long as there is this goal where people want platforms to take down some speech that is legal but is offensive or harmful, um, we will have... Um, there will be calls for people to go beyond, for platforms, sorry, to go beyond the First Amendment and and take down speech of, of their own volition, applying their own sort of policies or moral compasses rather than the law.
0: Mm. Well, so to what extent can the government sort of pursue either one of those policies goals consistent with the First Amendment? And I guess to the extent it can do anything, to what extent do you think the government should or is in a good position to to pursue those kinds of goals?
1: Well, if the policy goal is to make platforms take down First Amendment protected speech, that's a hard goal for the government to pursue. (laughs) (laughs) That is almost verbatim what the Constitution says they can't do. (laughs) Um, uh that said, you know, there are many people who make arguments that we should reinterpret the First Amendment and maybe particularly for speech online, that the, the way it spreads is different um, or the way it gets amplified or the way it might lead to real world violence is different. So there are, are arguments to be made for um, reinterpreting First Amendment doctrine for, for the Internet. And I expect we'll see more thinking and scholarship on that in years going forward. Um, in Europe, they're starting to think of platforms more as if they were broadcasters um, and saying, well, in much the same way, regulators, including the FCC, you know, American regulators, um, can tell broadcasters to take down cursing or nudity or you know, things that are, would be legal in other contexts. Maybe regulators should be able to tell platforms to take down things that would be legal in other contexts. That would be a pretty radical departure from the way certainly that American courts have thought about free speech online so far. And it would be very, very different from regulating broadcasting because it would reach into you know, your podcast and my pictures on Flickr or my, my Twitter account. You know, it would affect ordinary people in their day-to-day speech because we all depend on, on platforms. But, the, you know, there are people trying to think about um, how the government could pursue getting rid of currently legal speech. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I wonder if we could talk about like a recent incident that I think is very much on people's mind. You know, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook recently said that Facebook was going to adopt a policy with respect to political speech that it wasn't going to like monitor or remove political speech irrespective of the truth value of the speech. In question. So so I mean I, I wonder, I mean, can the government in any way regulate misinformation or false speech that's being circulated on social media? And if the government can't but platforms like Facebook can, should platforms like Facebook take a harder line when it comes to like misinformation and whatnot? Or do you think that Zuckerberg has adopted a sensible uh approach to this kind of problem.
1: Well, governments can step in to some extent in cases of misinformation if for example it constitutes defamation. You know, if the you think about the Nancy Pelosi video that was slowed down to make it sound look like or sound like she was drunk, you you, know, you could argue that because that conveys a factual claim about her that's not true and that damages her reputation—that that's defamation and that's the kind of thing that the government can regulate um, or prohibit. But there there are real limits to that. And I think if you look at the kinds of things people are asking platforms to take down and saying is sort of a um, moral duty to take down, um, that tends to go beyond what what governments could do. Um, but you know, I. <laughs> i i have some sympathy for facebook and mark zuckerberg on this one i'm i'm no fan of a let politicians lie policy but can you imagine if the policy were otherwise and you know they decided um which ads were you know mere puffery To use a term we all learn in law school, you know, which which ads were within permissible bounds of hyperbole and exaggeration um, and which ads went just a little bit too far. They would just systematically alienate the people with the greatest capacity to punish them, which is lawmakers. Um, And so I can see why they were terrified to step into that job um, of systematically making powerful politicians mad at them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really does seem like they're between a rock and a hard place here, in the sense that, you know, there's they're sort of like conflicting demands on them from the very people making those demands.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we had a ministry of truth to outsource this to, then, you know, that would solve the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: well, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess I guess we'll see what happens on that front. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so uh, you know, if that kind of policy is good for for politicians and for the kind of political speech that they're engaging in, you know, is that the right policy for platforms to adopt with respect to other kinds of speech as, as well, or, you know, to what extent can and should platforms engage in kind of more robust curation of the material that, that they're, that they're hosting?
1: To be clear, I'm not saying that policy is good. Uh, I'm just saying I'm not sure there was any good policy (laughs) to arrive Mm. there, although Mm. you can imagine them doing some kind of, you know, outsourcing to some kind of bipartisan trusted fact checkers. You know, there's probably something that would have been better, but there isn't a a clean solution there. Um, And and that's sort of the the problem generally. Uh, I think that platform curation, having platforms go out and take down some legal speech because it is offensive or because it is harmful, That's pretty much inevitable if we are talking about big platforms like YouTube or Facebook, because that is what the public demands. It's what users want and expect. I think users would be very alienated and and would leave the platform if when they signed on to relatively family-friendly places like Facebook, they found themselves confronted with... Racial epithets and bullying and false medical claims and you know the whole panoply of of nasty stuff that's on the internet. Pe- people want Facebook doing curation, um, and advertisers want Facebook and other platforms doing curation. Advertisers don't want to stick around and have their brand appear next to you know advocacy of violence or other kinds of of dangerous or offensive content. Um, And so I, I think platforms don't have a real choice, big ones, don't have a real choice but to go down this path of curation, but they are also inevitably not going to make everyone happy. No matter where they draw the line between permitted and prohibited speech, some people will disagree. And no matter what lines they draw, trying to operationalize their rules by outsourcing you know, a a nudity rule, for example, or a um, a sexual innuendo rule or a rule about disparaging religion, any rule like that, it's hard enough for judges to enforce them. But defining them in a way that's outsourced to a global workforce of tens of thousands of moderators who each look at a piece of content for something like 10 seconds, um, there's no way they're going to arrive at something where there is consistent enforcement of a nuanced rule. There will only be clumsy enforcement of a relatively blunt rule, and we will never all be happy with it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, at the risk of sounding cynical, it almost seems as if the people complaining about the speech policies of Internet platforms kind of want to have their cake and eat it too. Like, you know, like the platform should always carry the kind of speech that I think is really valuable, but should really aggressively curate the kind of speech that I think isn't valuable. And it sort of seems like, as you say, like really difficult to sort of mediate between those two demands, especially when they're coming from people with such different perspectives. Um, I mean, I I wonder, in, in your paper, you suggest a few ways that platforms might think about sort of modes of curation. I, I mean, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what people have suggested as to kind of ways that platforms could think about how to kind of pursue some of these goals, even if not uh, in an ideal form, maybe to sort of improve the the management.
1: Yeah, well, maybe if I could go back to the beginning of your question a little bit, I, I do think that um, some people... Are asking to have their cake and eat it too, and calling for inconsistent things, you know knowing that they're calling for the impossible and as long as there is political momentum to be gained from doing that um, there's there's no reason to stop, but I think there are a lot more people who are quite earnestly calling for improvement, and they just don't have enough information to to know what is workable and not workable and and what is Um, what is a viable way forward because platforms haven't been great about being transparent about how things work and and what the limits of Mm. human moderators are and what the the limits of um, automated filters or AI or machine learning are, you know, and in particular Facebook has had Mark Zuckerberg sort of extolling the virtues of artificial intelligence as a way of moderating content going forward. And, no one who's deep in the trenches that I know of um, uh, of how this technology works thinks that that's really a viable path for anything but the most simple kinds of judgment calls so you know i, I think there's there's a there's a reason people mm. are calling for unrealistic or impossible things, and it's because the people with enough information to know what's realistic and possible aren't sharing it enough well that,
0: that that's fascinating. Could you say a little something more about why? That is not as simple as it sounds.
1: Sure. Well, so the paradigm. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about using um, AI or automated filters to identify bad content. The the sort of paradigm case for that that people always think about is um, a set of filters that many platform u- platforms use for child sex abuse imagery. So this is worst of the worst material: images and videos. Um, they are unambiguously dangerous and harmful. They are very easy for, in the mo- most cases, for ordinary people to recognize as illegal. You don't really need to go to a judge. Um, and so for those systems, first of all, U.S. law requires platforms to act swiftly and of their own volition if, if they find out anything, you know, that this stuff is on their, plat- on their servers. Um, This is a matter of federal criminal law. Platforms don't have special immunities. Um, But also both platforms and a lot of people who are usually critical of platforms have been pretty willing to accept using automated filters that find duplicates of this content. Once a human has said, hey, this is worst of the worst illegal child sex abuse material, we're going to take it down, they can use automated tools to find duplicates of that and, and take it down too. The problem once you get beyond that kind of material is that almost everything else that people want platforms to take down has both illegal contexts and legal contexts. So you know this well from from copyright, that there can be uh, an image or a song or a video that is copyright infringing in one situation, but is reused another way as part of um, criticism or a review of a museum exhibit or parody uh, that's legal in another context. And a filter can't tell the difference between those two things. Similarly for violent extremist content, which is an area um, that a number, at least a dozen platforms now use automated filters for, the filters can't tell the difference between a video used as ISIS recruitment And the same video archived for scholarly purposes or used in news reporting or used in the context of counter speech. Um, There was a terrible example of an organization called the Syrian Archive, an NGO based out of Berlin. They exist to document human rights abuses as part of the Syrian conflict. And they had over 100,000 videos on YouTube that were deleted and were lost because they looked to someone like they were violent extremist content, and it's widely assumed they were plugged into a filter and automatically blocked. Um, And they were material that might have been used by extremists in some other way. But in this case, they were being used to support future human rights prosecutions. Um, And so relying on machines to make those kinds of of nuanced judgments has, has some real perils. But there's very little transparency about what those machines are doing or what kinds of mistakes they're making. We only find out about them through anecdotal instances when a high-profile victim like the Syrian archive tells their story. Uh, So I think that's a really important area where lack of public information leads to assumptions about what platforms can and cannot accomplish.
0: Well, are there alternative ways that platforms could go about helping people curate their internet experience and kind of get the kind of content that they want and exclude the content that they, that they maybe don't.
1: Yeah. So, there, and this is sort of moving back to content where, you know, reasonable, reasonable minds might differ about what is appropriate or what people want to see. If we're talking about nudity policy or tolerance for violence, um, you could imagine a system and many experts have imagined systems where users just get a lot more control over that. Um, so instead of having a single policy that governs everyone on all of Facebook or everyone on all of YouTube, um, people can say, well, I have you know a high tolerance for nudity in the context of art, but I have a low tolerance for other kinds of nudity, or I have a Low tolerance for violence generally, but if it is in a historical context, then I'm willing to see it. Um, And that too would not be perfectly enforced, but at least by having people decide for themselves what sort of discursive community they want to be part of, um, what content they want to see and be able to share, you could meet the more individual or more culturally specific needs of users around the globe a, a lot better than you do right now by having a single policy. Well, so, so Daphne,
0: I mean uh, although it seems like regulating like kind of government regulation of a lot of these activities of uh, speech activities of internet platforms is gonna be is gonna be difficult or impossible, it still seems like a lot of legislators are sort of pushing for more involvement by the government and maybe more regulation, especially in in recent months um I wonder you know. Has the Supreme Court said anything that might be relevant to these questions recently? And where do you anticipate the Supreme Court kind of going on these questions in the future? I mean, to what extent is the Supreme Court going to allow Congress to engage in kind of more heavy handed regulation of the way that Internet platforms um, sort of monitor and curate speech?
1: So the, there's not a lot of recent precedent that speaks to the question of when the government can make platforms take things down. Um, and that's in part because we've lived under some relatively stable statutory regimes in the US for a long time, although those are, questions are very much, those statutes um, may change and we may see more more judicial action that could lead to the Supreme Court. But on the Separate question of whether the government can compel platforms to host content they don't want to, um, whether the government can say, "Hey, platform, you need to honor First Amendment rights, even though you're a private actor." There, there have been some interesting developments lately. And so there's, there's one development that I think was kind of a red herring. There was a, a case called Packingham v. North Carolina where the Supreme Court said that platforms like Facebook and YouTube are the modern public square. And a lot of people picked that up and said, see, you guys are the public square. So we have a First Amendment right to say whatever the law permits. Um, But what the court was really saying in that case is that the government can't just kick people off, off of platforms. It was a case about the government in North Carolina stopping convicted sex offenders um, from participating in, in major platforms. Um, so that case has been misinterpreted, I think, quite a bit, but but doesn't really speak to the question of what governments can force platforms to do. Um, but there has been a case recently that is very interesting for for what I think is the real question here, the question of of when the government can tell a platform, "Hey, you have to tolerate this speech," and it's a case that didn't get a ton of attention. Uh, it's called Halleck the Manhattan Community Access Corporation. I think it's the plaintiff is named Halleck, and the defendant is the um, the public access cable operator for Manhattan. Uh, and the the plaintiff said, "Hey." I have a First Amendment right to speak on the public access cable channel. Um, and that was violated because this private company that runs the public access channel for Manhattan kicked me off. And this case made it up to the Supreme Court. And in an opinion by Justice Kavanaugh, the court said, Nope, you really don't have a First Amendment right against this private actor, which sounds Kind of simple, but really isn't simple given the history of cable regulation and the way that um, governments have sort of made deals with cable companies um, to under which one one precondition was that they were supposed to provide these public access channels, which looked a lot like they might have First Amendment rights of access. Um, so that that case, you know, seems like it's sort of slamming a door on people claiming a right of right to speak. On private platforms. That said, Justice Kavanaugh, who wrote that opinion, has some very interesting, or at least one very interesting opinion from uh, when he was on the D.C. Circuit. He wrote a dissent in a net neutrality case um, where he said net neutrality obligations violate ISPs' First Amendment rights. The government can't compel even ISPs to carry speech they don't want to. He was a dissenter there. The, the um, majority of, of the D.C. circuit on bank said, no, there's, there's no First Amendment here. Um, but, but what he said was the only way the government can compel these private companies to carry speech they don't want to is if there is so much market dysfunction that usual market corrective forces aren't coming to play. So basically, if the government can make out a competition claim or an antitrust claim, that becomes an avenue to compelling platforms to carry speech. Um, So it may be that we will see interesting developments at this nexus of First Amendment and competition law in the years ahead. Well, so in closing,
0: Daphne, I mean, I wonder if you could reflect on that a little bit more, because you certainly touch on it in, in your essay, right? The way in which, you know, it does seem like there are some really kind of substantial First Amendment barriers in the way of significant kind of direct government regulation of the way that Internet companies curate speech on, on their platforms. But, you know, the government has a lot of tools it can use and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat as, as it were. Right. And it, I mean, I I do wonder, like, I mean, what if the government tries to use other kinds of market, commercial market regulation to sort of push internet companies to do things that it wants to do for really speech oriented reasons. I mean to what extent is that an option and for the government and how can and should internet companies sort of negotiate that that sort of relationship to government regulators.
1: Well, I I mean I I think a lot of what we've seen to date is not so much governments using other kinds of regulation as governments influencing speech without using regulation at all. And this happens to some extent in the U.S., you know, when when members of Congress say, hey, I think you have a moral obligation to take this stuff down and sort of implicitly are, are suggesting we will find a way to make things worse for you if you don't take um, offensive but First Amendment protected speech down. That, that's bringing influence to bear on platforms in ways that, feels a little questionable under the First Amendment. It's using state power indirectly in a way that that penalizes legal speech. But we see it much more dramatically in Europe, where you get things like the uh, European Commission negotiating with four of the major platforms the hate speech code of conduct, um, which is an agreement to voluntarily take hate speech standards out of European law and put them into platforms' terms of service and then apply those globally. And many Europeans have been very critical of this, saying, hey, we like our hate speech standards. like We're fine with that part of it, which is law that's very different from U.S. law. But what we don't like is that this takes the enforcement out of the public courts, out of the legislature, out of any democratically accountable process, and puts it all in this black box inside of a private company so that we don't know what's coming down, we don't know how the rules are being interpreted, if people think that they have been wrongly silenced, they don't have an avenue for redress, they can't go to court and get a judge to review it. And so that that's the larger uh, problematic use of, of government power that I see in this area um, is is governments getting things done without going through legislative channels and without going through channels that allow judicial review interesting
0: interesting well Daphne thanks so much for coming on the program it's been a real pleasure talking to you and I've learned a ton about the governance of of internet platforms
1: thank you for having me Brian
2: Look at that, and I notice, it's a steamy pile of ads, diseased and mangy like scuttling rats, styles, trends, companies, scams and fads, the wonders of the Orient, drugs, ass and silk, if you slug enough you find gems under the silt, but mostly it's the hard exoskeleton made of conspiracy theories that's irrelevant, okay, you're the one millionth visitor, click here, click, they are quite inquisitor, yes sir, it's a institute, We have a new pill. We're firm and resolute in our belief that it works a hundred percent. Buy two or three, get one for a friend. Phone, TV, internet, all in one basket. With prices like these, only one word. Comcastic can describe the service that we provide. Price subject to change. See details inside. Hot local girls want to chat right now. They're sitting at their laptops waiting for you to wow them. Applying makeup and hoping you will log on. As for conclusions, it's Zwingy ass or never again Virtual dress up dolls Now I have to contend With crippling nausea When I see their pop ups You can be anyone make your oughta be locked up Yes those swinkies Make me fucking peevish Like why do they have to Show so much cleavage It's a product targeted At female tweens At least they haven't Invaded the TV screens Next up Virus spider Screams the plague 99 viruses found Very grave I'll scan your computer It's worse than I thought if you don't act comp, you'll have to be shot. Because it'll have digital rabies. Like, abandon ship, save the women and the babies. But for a small fee, I'll rescue your comp, you would add a princess too. Oh, you don't believe me? Fine, uninstall. The joke's on you, the button doesn't work at all. I took the liberty to load myself onto your hard drive, where I can pop out, harass you, and hide you reboot i'll be by your side informing you that your computer's gonna die i'm trying to make money you know Ride, beat the cops, shoot the duck Run over ten cars in a giant monster truck Calculate the exact name of your admirer Three crush messages waiting for an answerer Free ringtones, low by flow rider. And as a bonus, download the wallpaper Classfinder.com, when did you graduate? Click on the banner and simply select a date She married him, they had five kids He owns a company from Takeover bids. Oh, and another thing, discover the fate Of the bad bully whose guts you hate Whose legs are these? Whose legs are these? Britney, J.Lo, or Avril Lavigne? Answer, correct, and get a free iPod. The definition of free is surprisingly broad. There's a refinance your home loan ad With dancing silhouettes make me go mad There's no link between dance and borrowing cash Only a dumb fool be convinced so fast Banner, banner ad, tech sad by Google Try to ignore it, give it up, cause it's beautiful Banner, banner ad, text ad by Google Try to ignore it, give it up, cause it's beautiful